Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. There is nothing more classically horror than a haunted house. The thought of your safe space being invaded by an otherworldly force is enough to make anyone lose sleep. This week's episode is dedicated to those who have had to deal with uninvited house guests. First, I speak with a woman who kept finding things in her apartment rearranged every time she would return home. Then, we'll learn about a man named Mr. Smith. And finally, we'll visit a home in Michigan with a restless presence. If you have a story you'd like to submit, visit storieswithsapphire.com. Chapter 1. Someone's been in here. My name's Becky Garcia, and I'm from San Antonio, Texas. I met Becky at a comedy event in 2019. She was one of the comics sharing a story, and I was one of the animators drawing what the comics said on a projector behind them. The story that Becky shared was about a haunting that happened in her apartment. So, of course, I approached her after the show and asked if she would share her story on my podcast. This happened back in, like, um, the summer of 2015, and it kind of happened out of nowhere. I don't know what started it. Um, just little by little things started happening. But anyway, I'd lived in this building, tiny little apartment in East Hollywood. I'd been there for about maybe three years already. She began experiencing some odd activity in her apartment. It started off fairly small, then continued to escalate. Uh, I noticed that when I would leave the house and come back, I live alone, by the way, it was just me and my dog. When I'd come back, there'd be my hamper pushed over with like clothes everywhere and this um, bag full of goodies, like dog stuff, dog supplies, that I usually hang on the front door, it would be thrown in the living room, just every, you know, stuff everywhere. And I thought that was kind of weird. I thought maybe it's my dog. Maybe, like, he has separation anxiety. He never acted out before, but maybe now he's doing that. Uh, but then it's like, well, he's really small. Like, I don't see how he'd have the strength to push anything over. He's only seven pounds. Also, how would he be able to lift this bag over the doorknob? So that was strange. And it happened a a bunch of times. I also, I heard my name called out a few times. And it it, it didn't sound spooky. It just sounded like someone would say my name, like someone was calling me. And every time I'd turn around, no, of course, no one's ever there. There were times where I'd be in bed and I'd feel someone put their hand on my hip. It wasn't my dog. (laughs) And another time, too, I was in bed and I felt 
I felt like the weight of a person, like whenever you sleep with someone and like they toss in their sleep, like I was like, you know, like someone just shifts. But I thought, uh, I know I'm, you know, kind of sleepy, but there's no way that's my dog because, you know, he's so small. It's only seven pounds. And so I turned around and thought, maybe, you know, maybe it's him. Uh, I, you know, flipped over on my side. And, of course, he wasn't there. He was, in fact, on the other side of the room sitting on a chair. And he just stares at me like, what are you looking at? So that was really odd. And then, uh, so I, I just want to get away from all this weird stuff. And so I take a trip back to my hometown in Texas, in San Antonio, and uh, whatever it is, it doesn't follow me because I'm, I'm fine for, like, the two weeks I'm out there. Nothing happens. Everything's cool. When I get back in L.A., this crucifix that I had hanging over my front door, and it had been there since I moved there. I, I never take it down. It had never fallen accidentally. When I got back, it was placed upright on my nightstand. Becky was creeped out, but thought that maybe it was her building manager who moved the crucifix, because sometimes they enter units for maintenance. But he hadn't alerted her that he would be entering her apartment. And I called him. I said, hey, I know I was out of town for the past two weeks, but did you guys possibly come inside and do any kind of service? And he's like, no. He's like, we had a plumber. Like, we had a plumbing issue, but it was on the second floor. We never touched your, your place on the third um, he's like, but give me a, a second. I can double check. He uh, says, hold on. He calls me back five minutes later. He's like, yeah, no, I'm sorry, girl. You know, no one was in your place. Is everything okay? And then I say, well, this is kind of weird. Like, I kind of wish you told me that you were in there because you were not in trouble. In fact, I wish you had because this crucifix thing, it, it's, I don't know what happened, but it's not where it used to be. Now it's like placed on my nightstand. And he's like, man, that's really creepy. And then I start telling him the whole thing about what's been happening with the stuff being thrown around and uh, feeling like someone's like in bed with me, maybe. And he's like, well, you know that this past year, like three people died, like three tenants died. I was like, no, I didn't know that, but maybe that explains what's going on here. Becky decided to look up the history of her building, but couldn't find anything that would suggest anything particularly strange had occurred in her unit. Still, she was considerably worried, but didn't have any other choice but to deal with it. Even if this place is, like, haunted, it's like in horror movies where you're like, just leave, what are you doing, you know, you need another sign. It's like, no, real life is, I paid rent, and I have to stay here. I don't have a backup plan, like, I don't have (laughs) the money, I'm broke. So you're stuck there in this um, creepy place. Uh, But one day I'm sitting there, and this was, like, the last straw. I'm sitting on my bed watching a movie and my dog's right next to me. And out of nowhere, my dog yelped in a way he never had before and never has since. Uh, he jumped off of the bed and writhed around in pain for like 30 seconds. And I don't know what is hurting him. I, it just, it made no sense. And so at that point, I was like, you know what? Whatever this thing is, it's like been screwing with me. That's one thing. You know, you mess with me. That's fine. But, you know, you fuck with my dog. We're going to war. So I went to church the next day, and I had the priest bless my dog and just say a prayer for him. Um, I got some holy water. I got some sage. I got Palo Santo. I looked up, like, all types of, like, rituals, and, like, I did some Haitian shit. Like, I wore all white, like, no undies, no bra. I did this thing where you were supposed to, like, uh, sweep from every corner, like, sweep from the walls in and create one big, like, dirt pile. And then, like, uh, you're supposed to sweep it out the back door. But I'm like, I live in an apartment. I can't be an asshole and just sweep it in the hall. Uh, so I collected it and just threw it away. And I did Mexican stuff, too. Like, we have this thing called the Ojo. 
like you pray over someone uh, with this little egg and you pray over someone with it. I did it to myself. I did it to my dog, which is really hard to get them to cooperate. <laughs> uh, but I did all that. And whenever you, after you pray with the egg, um, you're supposed to crack it in a bowl and you place the bowl under your bed. It's supposed to like absorb all the negative energy. Uh, a lot of people do this when they're sick and it's supposed to just suck up all the sickness. And, um, I couldn't do that either because I knew my dog would get into it. So I just also, I put that on top of the refrigerator. So I did all this stuff and then it, it all stopped. Everything stopped. Everything was fine. Um, at least I, it, it seemed fine. Uh, but then three weeks later, I'm having a drink with a friend of mine. He's a cop. So I'm talking to this guy and telling him everything that happened. And then he's like, man, I really wish you, you had had a ghost because what I'm about to tell you might really scare you. And I'm like, oh no, what, man, what do you know? And he goes, well, sounds crazy, but have you um, have you noticed that you're missing any panties? And I'm just waiting for like a dirty joke. And he's like, no, I'm serious. He's like, check your panty drawer when you get home. Because um, there was a guy a while back who would prey on women that were single and you know lived alone. He's like, so he would stalk these women. He'd figure out their schedules. And when they weren't there, he would sneak into their houses and rearrange things to make you feel like either you were going crazy or maybe you have a ghost. So he'd screw with these women and his whole signature thing was like, and he'll take like a pair of your panties whenever he leaves as trophies. So when you get home tonight, check your panties. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll do that. He goes, does anybody have a key to your apartment? No, I was like, the only person that has my key is just the building manager. He goes, well, is he a cool guy? Is he a creep? And I said, no, he's a really nice guy. There's no way he'd ever do anything like that. He's super, super sweet. And he's like, Becky, I'm a man and I'm a cop, and I'm going to tell you, all men are creeps. I don't know. Maybe I had a panty bandit. Maybe I, I don't, it, it, it can't explain all those things. Like the panty bandit couldn't have, I don't know, he, he couldn't have done some of those things. So. There was a difference between when that was going on and when it all stopped. Like I, there was just a heaviness about where I was. My place just didn't feel right. That was the only time Becky experienced anything like this in her apartment. And once all the activity had stopped, she began to feel safe again. Then, two years later, her mom and dad spent the night. And my mom, like, we're both really vivid dreamers. So her routine thing is like she always tells me her dreams in the morning whenever, you know, we'd have sleepovers. And a few years ago, she's, uh, you know, she's waking up. She's kind of groggy and she's telling me all her dreams and they're, they're out there. And then she goes, oh, yeah. And then I saw a little man in a hat, like a little derby hat, uh, walk across your room and into your closet. Wait, I was like, oh, so like you were dreaming. She says, oh, no. She's like, I was awake. She's like, maybe I, it was like the space in between being awake and being asleep. She's like, but I, I saw a little man. She says, he looked like he was like from like the 1920s. He had like a little derby hat. He's very, very short. And he was wearing like pajamas. Like he had like little suspenders. She's like, it looked very, like, you know, an old tiny dude. And he smiled at me though. She's like, and he communicated to me without saying anything like that you were okay with him being there. He had your permission to be in the house. And he walked to your closet to go get some clothes. <gasps> yeah, I didn't like that at all. I can't decide which is more unsettling. Having your home broken into numerous times when you're not there, or sharing your space with a spirit you cannot see. 
Whether Becky was the victim of a panty bandit or an old-timey ghost, something was going on in that apartment. What do you think it was? Chapter 2. Mr. Smith. This has really, truly happened. This is not, I know the girls that it happened to, and it, it was pretty, this is pretty good. This is Sherry Passell. You might recognize her voice from Season 1, Episode 9, The Women in White. She shared a story about being visited by a mysterious woman one night who turned out to be the spirit of her daughter. Now, she brings us a story that happened to her college friend's family. Um, my, my college friend, she had a, a huge family, maybe six or seven brothers and sisters, and her dad died when they were all pretty little. And so her mom had to support all these kids, and she had never worked before. She got a job, but they lived in this big old house, and they it was just a mess, the house. Like, it needed so many repairs. But, you know, she, little by little, she was trying to fix things. But anyway, it was crazy big house. And I think that my friend was the oldest of the kids. But the, her, her little sister that was two years old had a pretend friend. <laughs> and his name was Mr. Smith. They would say, what does Mr. Smith look like? He's big, he's big and fat, she would tell them. He's got a big red beard. And she would always say, I need two cookies, one for me, one for Mr. Smith. Or Mr. Smith says, I shouldn't have dinner with you guys tonight. I should have it upstairs with him. And they just thought it was adorable. And they would let her take her plate up. Go ahead, you can have dinner with Mr. Smith tonight. Or they would give her the two cookies and say, don't forget, this one's for Mr. Smith, not for you. Anyway, it just went on until she was probably four. And then they stopped hearing about Mr. Smith. Well, as her mom started getting promotions and doing better at work, they started to be able to repair the house. And they found a room they didn't even know exist. It was kind of like a big walk-in closet-sized room, but, you know, they were knocking down walls, doing a little remodeling, and this room they never knew was there, they find. And inside, there were piles of prescription bottles to a Mr. Smith. And they look into it, and he had died in the house. After this discovery, the family went to the library, and in their research, they learned that this Mr. Smith was an alcoholic during Prohibition. During this era, one of the few legal ways to obtain alcohol was with a prescription from your doctor. It was mostly a way for doctors to rake in some extra cash. But those who could afford multiple doctor's visits for their hooch did just that, and Mr. Smith took advantage of this privilege. They had also found photos of him, and he looked exactly like the little girl had described. And the, the most interesting part of the story, I think, is that the little girl today, she's an adult, and she doesn't remember this at all. Not even, not even a little bit. As children, we experience that, and then as we get... As we grow up, then we kind of throw that part of our brain away where, where we can imagine and, and let ourselves see something that's a, a little bit magical. A child that age, our brains are so mixed up with fantasy and reality. And then she, and then it switches over to mostly reality. So she, well, she just lost it. She lost that memory. And it also makes me think that we, we probably all have that. Like there might be something that you and I, that happened to, to you and I when we were two or three years old, but we just don't remember. 
I asked Sherry if anyone else in that house had reported experiencing any unexplainable activity. Oh, they oh they have lots of ghost stories about the house. Like they said that the older children they didn't put the two things together because they thought he was just a pretend friend. But they always said that they thought the house was haunted. And you know when when you have a creaky old house, that's common. You know, and it was old. It was very old. This house. So they said that they would turn all the lights off when they went to bed at night, and then come back down, and all the lights were on. Radios would turn on by themselves, you know, that typical stuff, you know, that you see in movies, but they just called that the ghost. Like things would get misplaced. Somebody would say, I put my book right here and they would find it up in the attic. They had lots of stories like that. And they connected them when they figured out that there really had been a Mr. Smith. I love these types of ghost stories where they end in some sort of validation that what the person experiencing was rooted in fact. Mr. Smith really existed and lived in that house, or rather, still lives in that house. Really, all of our homes are inhabited by the memories of the people who lived here before us. And that goes for newly built homes, too. I remember when I was younger, my mom would always tell me to never move into a previously inhabited house because you don't know its history. But the land that we live on was previously inhabited. Spirits are present with us, no matter where we are. They're always there. I think it's... We don't have the words to talk about this, but it's kind of like the parallel universe thing. I think they're everywhere. I think that our human brains can't... It, it can't imagine it. We can't see it. And but sometimes, like, there's part of our brain that allows us access to, to what, what's happening in the spirit world. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Chapter 3. Strangers in my home. I think I feel our shoulders brush, your touch ice cold 
Neither of us speak a word, and I wonder if you even know I'm here. It feels wrong to be sharing a space for this long and still knowing nothing about you, despite the story unfolding on the walls. From the moment I was born, your faces have appeared behind me in photographs, your voices echoing down the halls. It's like your family, and yet it doesn't feel that way at all. I've tried to exercise this place, but they said they cannot rid a home of ghosts that have not yet died. This house is haunted by the living. Chapter 4. The Lonely Girl Visiting your parents can have its stressful moments, even more so if their home is haunted by a restless spirit. This is my friend. We'll call him Dan. You know, growing up, I was really interested in the paranormal. And, you know, so as a teenager, I do remember one time a friend of mine and I getting out on a you know, Ouija board and in my basement trying to, you know, talk to ghosts. And weirdly enough, uh, in our session, um, my bass guitar that was downstairs strummed. And that was enough. And I threw the Ouija board away and never touched it again and was not interested anymore because it scared the shit out of me. So flash forward many years, I now live up on my own, uh, married, and decided to take my wife back to my parents' home for Christmas one year. Uh, my wife is, is sensitive to things. She can feel things. She kind of has a sixth sense about a lot of stuff. So we go home for Christmas. And uh, my my aunt is also very um, in tune with that sort of thing. She, she can see auras. I don't know if it was having the two of them in the house together or what, but everyone was there. We were put upstairs in the top floor, which is where one of my, when I lived there, I used to live in that room when I was a teenager. But so we go upstairs and it's kind of hard to describe, but basically if you go up the stairs, you get to a landing point and the wall is in front of you. So you have to turn to your left and then it opens up into the, second floor. Uh, there's like a pony wall that goes along where the stairs go down and then it shoots all the way back to the back wall. And then there's like a little alcove straight across from where the beds are. I hope that makes sense. So <laughs> my wife and I go to bed, uh, we're laying in bed and we're facing the alcove. The stairs are all the way across the room on the left side and we're laying there and start to drift off to sleep. And she's laying on my chest and you know, that place like right between being awake and being asleep or just kind of starting to drift like right into sleep that's kind of where i felt like i was and right at that point i heard uh what sounded like someone running from the landing at the top of the stairs all the way over to the bed and then i felt something grab my foot and i jerked and as soon as i jerked my wife jerked too and i just laid there i didn't i didn't know if i was dreaming or, or what so i didn't say anything and she says did you hear that and I didn't want to feed in to anything. I wanted to hear what she was talking about. So I was like, hear what? And she said, it sounded like somebody was running across the floor. And then I felt someone grab my foot. And I was like, okay, yeah. And that just happened to me too. And she's like, what the hell? And I'm like, I don't know. So I, you know, I sit up, I turn the lights on. I'm thinking maybe it's the cat. Maybe it's my younger brother screwing with us. You know, I don't know. So I'm like checking under the bed and looking around. There's no cat. I go to check the landing, the door up to the second floor. It's closed. So I'm like, okay, it can't be an animal because the cats are downstairs. So I don't know what the hell it is. So I was like, well, let me go see if my brother's awake and maybe he's screwing with us. So I go downstairs and I open the door and it's probably like 
two in the morning or something. And my brother is sitting in his underwear, watching TV, eating pizza rolls. Uh, and I was like, Hey, were you just screwing with us upstairs? And he's like, no. He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, I'm like, come on, seriously. And he's like, no, man, I no, I'm just watching TV. And he's like, why? And I'm like, well, and so I tell him what happens and he kind of gets this look on his face like, oh, and I'm like, what? You know, and he's like, well, I don't know. I wasn't really going to tell you guys. I didn't want to freak you guys out. And I'm like, well, what? You know, and he's like, well, you got to promise not to tell your wife. And I'm like, all right, well, you just tell me. And he's like, well, he's like, since you moved, mom and I have been having really weird stuff happen here. And I'm like, okay, like what? And he's like, well, mom sometimes feels like someone tugging on the corner of her shirt. Um, she's seen lights in her room. My friends have seen in the downstairs basement, in the reflection of the mirror, a little girl standing in the shower. I've felt things in my room. And I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell are you talking about? You know? And he's like, I'm like, you're, you're screwing with me right now. He's like, no, I'm dead serious. And I'm like, well, none of that happened while I was here. He's like, I know. He's like, he's like, as soon as you moved, like started happening around there. I was like 21, 22. I was 22 when I moved. And I'm at this point, 35. So this has been going on how many years? And you guys never told me about it. I'm like, okay, cool. Now I have to go back up there and go to sleep. So I go back up and she's like, was it, you know, my wife's like, was it him? And I'm like, no, but he just kind of told me some stuff. And she's like, what? And I'm like, well, he made me promise I wasn't going to tell you. She's like, you got to tell me. And I'm like, all right, okay. So I explain and she's like, oh my God. And I'm like, I know, right? And I'm like, okay, well, all right, well, let's go to sleep, you know? So we lay back down, same thing, like right before you're falling asleep, that, that kind of in-between space, right next to my head is the wall. There's no headboard on this bed. There's this wall. And it sounded like someone took their open palm and smacked three times, boom, 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 really hard, like right next to my head. And I sat straight up in bed and I yelled, leave us alone. Because <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. And my wife starts crying. I mean, it was terrifying. It was like the very loud, like like a boom almost. And so we turned the TV on and turned the lights on. And we literally laid in bed until the sun came up. And so we go down the next morning. And this is, again, our first night. We're all at breakfast. My grandfather, my grandma, my aunt, my mom, my brother. And uh, I tell this story. And my mom kind of looks a little concerned. But my grandpa just starts cracking up. And I'm like, what, you know, what's so funny, Grandpa? And he's like, oh, I mean, it's not funny, but the funny part is you got to stay up there another five nights. And I, and I was like, oh, cool. That's great. Um, but so so my mom had this look and on her face. And so I kind of didn't want to bring it up at breakfast, obviously, and be a weirdo. So I waited and I asked her later, I'm like, what was that? And she's like, well, there's a couple things. She's like, after you moved out, my friend and I had a psychic come over here. And she said that there was a little girl that was here and that was attached to you and me. And because you're, you left, it's like restless. And this home that we, that I grew up in, my mom also grew up in, and they were the only, the second family to live in this home. The family that lived before them was, um, a father, a mother, and a young teenage daughter. And so when my family moved into the home, my mom and grandma were out in the backyard digging up the garden. And they found this, like, box, I guess is the best way to describe it. Like a small little box. And they opened it up and there was a jar inside that had, like, liquidy, gross-looking stuff. And so my mom was like, you know, I think that maybe this unwed teenage girl maybe got 
pregnant and they terminated the pregnancy and they buried it in the backyard. And because, you know, it's like the 50s and that's like a no-no and I guess I could see that happening, but it was just such a weird thing to hear. Um, so, yeah. Um, and in fact, my wife always says, like, you got to stop talking about it when you're there because you're, you're riling it up and you guys acknowledging it is making it more powerful and be able to do more stuff. So I just try to not think about it now and I just can't ever sleep when I stay at my mom's house now. Every haunted house story needs an origin. A buried jar with a mystery substance provides just enough information to validate the paranormal activity while also leaving the story open for interpretation. Did the jar really contain the remnants of a terminated pregnancy? Or, as I think is more likely, a miscarriage? It's impossible to know. But the activity within the home implies a lonely spirit. Perhaps this girl had grown attached to Dan over the years. He was very young when his family moved into this house. He never saw this girl as a kid, and there weren't any blatant paranormal occurrences, probably because she was happy and content with Dan there. So once he moved out, she might have become agitated and demanded to know where her friend had gone. And then... For him to finally return years later with his new wife, I can imagine that must have been upsetting for her. When people speak of their haunted houses, they're usually the victim, too scared to fall asleep, terrorized in their own home. To this day, Dan's mom and brother still experience strange things. But it's not as often that we consider the spirit's perspective. This little girl is trapped in an endless loop of longing for a young boy who she will never see again. That girl's spirit might still be in that home long after Dan's parents have left. So in that sense, whose home is it, really? Who is intruding on whose territory? Thanks for joining me today. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks like live watch parties or private tarot readings. Have you ever had a stranger in your home? Email me at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to my guests, Becky Garcia and Sherry Passell. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. For more information on this episode and my guests, visit storieswithsapphire.com. <laughs>